Hello, hello, and welcome back, KCSS listeners. This is Chanel. Thanks for tuning in again, coming almost every week to my podcast. Now, if you listen last week, I had an entrepreneur. I have another entrepreneur again. And if you also, dating back, been listening to my podcast since pretty much the beginning of the year, you know how I used to interview artists. Well, this entrepreneur works closely with artists and it's because he has his own show digital tour bus now you may have heard of it you may have not but you will afterwards i actually spoke to the founder and the video creator behind the show joshua weldling and the show is based out of chicago and what's really awesome is that before the pandemic when bands would come to Chicago, Josh was actually able to film inside their tour bus. So we got to see a sneak peek and their living style of pretty much maybe your favorite artists or bands has already been covered on Josh's show, Digital Tour Bus. We get to talk about the beginnings and origins of how he developed the show, the best tour bus he's been on, the equipment he uses to film the show, and lots, lots more. Trust me, you're going to hear plenty of Josh. So let's get right to it here on KCSS. And I yeah. noticed you have, what is it, a plaque right behind you? My YouTube plaque for 100,000 subscribers. So congratulations yeah. on that. <laughs> it's a great moment. You know, it's one of those things where it's like working towards I think I worked harder for that plaque than I did my college degree. I, so. <laughs> I want to congratulate you on being a new homeowner. Yes, I am. That's why I'm like fidgeting with all like all the lights. My condo gets pretty bright, but I haven't filmed in it at all. I don't really film myself very often. And so that was the other big, I would say that's right up there with YouTube plaque and college degree as buying a home. I mean, these days, like when I was, I would say like, Five years ago, I didn't even think it would be possible. So mm-hmm. it's not because digital tour bus. I, I'll, I'll say that. That is a uh, side hustle. It, it's really fun and I love doing it and it has a good audience. But like my career and day job is where all the money comes from. So last shoot I had was the Friday that like things shut down. It was the last day that they really had shows in Chicago. I haven't filmed anything since then. I feel out of practice. What do I do with my hands? Like, <laughs> hold yeah. the camera, Josh hold the camera and face it at the band and you're like okay just like don't drop the camera you got to clean that dust off because it's been untouched for a year and my last concert was a local h show and i know that you've had scott lucas on the Mm -hmm. program known about local h forever but like the really weird thing about being in chicago and like trying to film with chicago bands is they never want to film when they're in chicago for their tour it's either like the start of the tour and they're like our bus is clean or it's the first day of the run and they they're still working out the kinks of the tour or it's the last day of the tour and they're really like tired or run down from the whole leg of their tour or it's just like families here families out to the show they're on the bus they're in the venue they just are busy wanting to spend time with their family which is totally understandable i just don't end up filming with a lot of big chicago bands i end up filming with a lot of bands that are big from other places i remember him having like a really really cool um, and unique like pedal board setup because he's such a unique player and the van was just a van you would never suspect that local h is driving around in it but because it's a two-piece they don't have like a ton of gear 
It's a worker's van. It's got like steel all around the back. That's just the cage for the equipment. And they sit up front. The One of the most minimalist setups I think I've ever seen. My last show before the pandemic that I like attended as a fan was All American Rejects. <gasps> um, I love that band. It, it was a band that I grew up watching yeah. and listening to in middle school. And then finally, when I became an adult, I was like, I got to, you know, see Tyson Ritter sing like yeah. Gives You Hell and Dirty Little Secret. Yeah, I'd never seen them before. It was one of those bands where it's like, I've always loved their music. I almost never film with bands I'm a fan of. Most of my favorite bands I've never filmed with. And uh, most of your bands, like one of the big like benefits of like doing interviews with bands um, and giving them exposure on your platform is that you usually end up with a couple of tickets to the show. And I almost never take the tickets. I'm a very busy guy and kind of wake up early the next morning for work, or I've got to go home and schedule more interviews, answer emails, approve edits from my video editors, schedule the videos to post, like all the stuff that goes along with making sure that I continue to update the platform that allows me to do this. And I do see bands that I like all the time. I end up buying most of those tickets, which I don't mind. Always down to support bands. That's another thing I want to know is that when you are inside the tour bus and you're filming an artist and let's say they're a little bit more introverted, like how do you make them feel comfortable? The cool part about the features that I film for them and, and how I film them for those, you know, the listeners that have never seen my content before. It's me behind the camera filming the artist. There's no like interviewer on camera. And it was originally because it just didn't fit the concept. It would add like a layer of complexity, but it really ended up being, I guess, such a positive because if that interviewer on camera is not connecting with the artist, it is blatantly obvious. You really can't avoid noticing how awkward it is. And that actually really helped me because I am not an on-camera personality. I thoroughly enjoy being behind the camera and being creative in that way. And adds a layer of element where we you can sort of break that wall. Like my hand might come into the shot every once in a while. I knock on every bus door with my hand. That's purposeful. It's supposed to make the viewer feel like they're there. The kind of shots that I'm getting, I'm going way close up into like if they're showing off a drawer with like snacks in it, I'm not just showing their face. It did start that way, like 12 years ago when I started doing this, like my camera is going right into that drawer and I'm getting a close up of everything that they're showing as they're talking about it. And it actually helps me break down the awkwardness of them showing off their home. A lot of artists do actually compliment me for making them feel like they're not being interviewed. I do actually think that is part of like the secret sauce of Digital Tour Bus is not having an on-camera personality. And it's one of my least favorite things about other programs on YouTube that are music interviews. I like how you say like, I'm going into their home because they're living off the road when they're going on tour. And you're so right. Cause every time I see your hand knocking on the door and I definitely feel like I'm in there in the tour bus with you. And what I really like about digital tour bus and you know, this is how I explain it to like friends and family who's never heard of it. I'm like, okay, think of MTV cribs, but tour bus style. So it's a great concept and I'm so glad it's super original. You can't find anything else like this on YouTube. Another thing is that you open up the artists and you make them feel, or I see that they're not just idols or icons, they're human beings too. So it just like, wow, like I get to see a whole other side from the artist. That's not just the person that's standing on stage. I read all the comments, every comment on the video, I will read it regardless if the video is 
you know, 10 years old or a day old. And so one of my more popular videos is a band called Ginger. They're um, a metal band from the Ukraine. They've really blown up over the last couple of years in the metal community. They had like a lot of Walmart items on their bus. Like they clearly shopped at Walmart. They had a lot of great value products. And people were shocked that like they had Walmart products. I am very active in the comments and I'm responding to these people. And I'm just like, hey, like, you know, they're going from city to city. Like the only thing that's open at between 11 p.m. and, you know, 5 a.m. is a Walmart off the highway. Here's a top secret for every single person, every single fan that goes to a show. Like the chance of you connecting and contact with them at the show is so difficult. You're probably going to have a better shot at seeing them at your local Walmart afterward the show if it's still open or at the bar next to the venue. That's where you have the better shot of actually meeting the artist. It's not at the show. They're not entering their merch table, unless they tell you they are, they're not going out into the crowd unless they tell you they are. Uh, a lot of artists these days are doing meet and greets. Totally cool. That's what I was going to say. Or gas stations, because I've heard yeah. stories where like they're just at a gas station and then their tour bus just like drives by. Yeah. OK, so let's kind of rewind. Let's go back into the past of where this all began. I was diving into your LinkedIn and obviously you're a music lover, which is why you created Digital Tour Bus. Um, you have your own production. You work for Chicago's Crescendo Magazine. Uh, you promoted your own music uh, fest, Stick It to the Man. Sticking it to the man, like, like punk rock, you know? It's like, that's just a common phrase. But yeah, it was really just like a local showcase and it actually did pretty well. I remember those days fondly. Promoting concerts was like so fun. Uh, it was my first like in the behind the scenes of music. And I was 16 when I started putting on shows. And like that was during like the MySpace era. So like underground music was like probably, I would say bigger than it's ever been, at least culturally back when Fall Out Boy and Mike Hem and uh, stuff like that was really breaking. And so you know, local bands could draw really well. I curated my own bills for the shows. The shows would be, you know, anywhere from 200 kids to I think our best show we ever did was like 650 kids. And I think I put on like 60 to 70 shows when I was in high school. It was just a crazy time. It was really fun. I met a lot of cool people. And it really got me started into like what got me interested in doing digital tour bus. I came up with the concept for digital tour bus. It obviously is inspired by MTV Cribs, putting my own spin on it. I can't believe bands let me do it. Today, you'd never be able to get away with this. I spent the first year kind of gathering content and building the website and the branding and getting the social medias put together and built up an audience on those things. So although I started on January 1st, 2009, I didn't launch the site until March of 2010. But I was getting bands like All Time Low and Lady Parade and Bowling for Soup and Less Than Jake and Black Dahlia Murder and stuff like that. So I was getting bands that had a name, they had tour buses. I just don't know why anyone agreed to it. But I think I presented myself in a professional way, even though I was only 18. They trusted me to come and invade their tour bus. Like you can't get away with that anymore. But it's also far easier to launch a website these days as well. YouTube wasn't really a big thing back then either. It was there, but it wasn't what it is today. Now you can just have a YouTube channel. That's what most people know digital tour bus for is a YouTube channel. But there's digitaltourbus.com. It's still updated every day. And making this switch to YouTube was absolutely crucial. I wouldn't still be doing this if I didn't. Going back to what you said earlier about creating a website, it's definitely not hard. You could do it without having a sort of computer degree. Yeah. And, you know, same as you, 
I don't play an instrument, although I'm in an instrument room. These are my uncles. <laughs> um, I love music so much that I wanted to be involved with interviewing artists because I do that. I actually just started to kind of branch out and focus more behind the scenes of music, which is why I thought of you. But when I'm watching Digital Tour Bus and every tour bus is going to be the same. Okay. You walk in, you see the driver's seat, there's the bunk beds, here's the shower. But for every episode, when there's a different artist, they tell a different story. So it makes it feel like it's completely different than the last band that I just saw. So when you step into a tour bus, like, have you ever seen like a very extravagant tour bus? It's like, whoa, like this is a mansion on wheels. You hit the nail on the head when you said like, they're all the same. They are. I mean, for the most part, there's a few things that change from bus to bus. But before I start any interview with an artist where they're about to show off the bus, I say to them, it's not about the bus. It's not about the van. It's not about the RV. It's about what you have on here. It's about how you use it. So there's a TV. I will point to the TV and I say, don't tell us that you have a TV. We know you have a TV. But tell us what you're currently binging on Netflix. What's on during the day? Is it sports? Is it news? Whatever. Is it reruns of something? How do you utilize all the, the cool features on your bus? How do you make your bunk comfortable? These are things that we definitely highlight. But the best bus I've ever been on I would say probably I filmed one member of Matchbox 20. They each have their own bus. When you're drawing probably in a small market, 10,000 people in a larger market for them, you know, 25, 30, 35,000 people in a single night. Yeah, every member has their own bus. I got to film with Kyle Cook, lead guitar player. And the only people that stay on his bus are at the time was his wife and two daughters. And then the bus driver comes back at the end of the day and drives in the next city. That's called like a star coach, what he was touring in. And so if anyone's interested, on YouTube, Matchbox 20 Bus Invaders. He had two slide outs, which means the front and the back both slid out to create extra space when they were parked. He had a full-size shower. He had two bathrooms. He had a smaller bunk area. And so instead of 12 bunks or eight, depending on if they're three to a stack or two to a stack, he only had four bunks. And two of them were used for food storage. And the other two were used for his daughter's. And then the front lounge was extra big and it had like a massive counter space that they actually used to cook. And then on the outside of the bus, there was awnings that came out. And then one of the bays, a bay is where like the luggage is stored under the bus. One, maybe two of the bays came out and they flipped out and had TVs. So you could like set up and be outside on TVs and stuff. That was a pretty stellar bus. Chad Kroger from Nickelback also uses that bus. These bands don't usually own their own bus. 95% of the times they're renting from a bus company. There's two genres of music that really tend to own their own bus. It's because of how they tour, how often they tour, and the kind of venues they play. Christian bands end up owning their own buses. And then the other genre is country artists. Tech Nine had a cool bus too. Tech Nine had like a remote control, like revolving wardrobe. He had a star coach as well. Wow, you were so descriptive. Like I could imagine that. And look at you. You know the concert industry like the back of your hand. <laughs> Another thing that a lot of people don't understand either is like like underground genres. So talking about like hardcore music or death metal. A lot of them have like pretty long careers, but the peak of their career doesn't usually last that long. But when they peak, they can typically afford a bus. But a lot of artists bypass that because they want to make sure they're thinking financially, okay? If you get used to touring a van, you're always cool with touring in a van. That's number one. Number two, usually when you tour in a van and you're successful, you get hotels, which is a good luxury to have. And, and a lot of bands just get used to making their van their home and their comfort with that 
So that if they took the bus route, they would likely come home with little to no money at the end of the tour, unless they were really doing well on merch sales and or really doing well on meet and greets. It's just not going to be sustainable living. It's also not the label's fault. Fans blame the label. Tour support used to be a thing when people bought records. It might become a thing now with streaming really peaking and rebounding the music industry like it has. They're still not at the level. The music industry is still not making the kind of money that they were making during when CDs were at their all-time high. So you might see that happen again, but it's just not the case for bands on independent labels. Actually, you buying a record probably has more to do with this than uh, the label does because the label would then do tour support if records were sold. So if this uh, was a PSA, go buy you know, bands music and financially support them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the best things that you could probably do for a band's pocket is a meet and greet. You're paying for someone's time and that time can be valued in many different ways. It's almost pure profit for them. A band that doesn't get constant support from fans isn't going to be able to tour. It's just not possible. You don't have to go out and buy a record. That's certainly not the case. Not these days. Stream the records. Don't download them illegally. That's dumb. Another thing that I do respect about Digital Tour Bus is that, like you were talking about, like some bands are in vans and some they're renting a tour bus. And I appreciate that you see the different backgrounds of artists you know, you talk about how you don't like get a lot of big name bands, but you do because you talked about I had Matchbox 20. You also had 21 Pilots. And I think I saw Megadeth and g Easy. So when you get these up and coming artists and they blow up, does that make you feel really good? Like, oh, I'm so glad I got to see them when they were small before they really became big. Yeah, sometimes you know it's coming. Like, for instance, 21 Pilots, I knew it was coming. I actually saw that band on one of the first tours. They were playing in front of 20 people. I was in the basement of a bar. My brother fell in love with the band, bought the CD. They were signed like two weeks later. And then when I filmed them, that was the first day they were ever on a tour bus. That was not said in the video, but they did tell me that. They picked it up earlier that day. I told myself, I worked so hard for that interview because I knew this was my last shot to get them. And it's true. I've tried so many times after that, never got them again. I just knew the trajectory of that band was going to be insane. That was one of the only times I called it. A lot of people make great music. The people in the band make the difference. So it's like, is there a star in the band? For instance, like Water Parks, you know, their singer is a star. He's so charismatic. He's got his own like personal brand without having a brand, like down to the hair, how he acts. When you see someone like that, who's that charismatic, I know it's going to do well. I remember interviewing at Water Parks that video ended up doing really well. They weren't really much of a thing. They, they were on Warp Tour, so they were doing stuff. As soon as I met him, I was like, this band is going to be a thing. I always say there's two ways I get an artist. I either get them on their way up or their way down. I never get them at their peak. At their peak, they're doing national press. They're doing newspapers, magazines, television shows, much larger websites than mine, much larger YouTube channels than mine. I have to sort of predict when who's the next big thing. Again, there's a lot of great music out there. There's not a lot of stars out there. And so I've interviewed 2000 acts and I would say that in the vast majority of them end up being, you know, not blowing up. But then there's the ones like X Ambassadors. I interviewed them when they were playing to 150 people that night. There was BB Rexa, I got her on Warp Tour, Echo Smith. You know, sometimes you know, and sometimes it's a surprise to me. It's all timing though. I, I, I could name the ones I missed because I had opportunities to interview a lot of these people. Imagine Dragons, I missed. Billie Eilish missed that boat. And so. there's no multiple Joshua's where we're like, okay, you go interview Magic Dragons and you go to Billie Eilish and da, 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 da. it's like you're doing everything by yourself. 
I know how important first impression is or an impression period. If I had someone else doing interviews and sending them out to shows, all it takes for them to mess up, them to talk to an artist the wrong way, behave inappropriately. I know that I'm a very moral and ethical person that behaves very intentionally. And so I, I never wanted someone to leave with a bad impression, even if they treated me wrong. I knew that was the only way to protect the brand. And I just enjoy it. I enjoy that process. Like I enjoy meeting the artist, doing the interview. And it's fine that it's not this big colossal thing that everyone knows about because it's something that I'm passionate about and that I get to do and that, you know what, people still enjoy it. So I'll keep doing it. I find digital Torbus videos to be not only entertaining, but informative. And like I say, and like I, like I mentioned is that I get to know the artists more than just being an artist. Now with last year, because of the pandemic and you couldn't even be on tour buses anymore because concerts got like canceled or they got postponed. So how are you able to like still be creative and still releasing content to keep the show alive and running during the pandemic? I did two things. One thing I hadn't done in years, which was allow artists to send me their own footage. I did have requirements I had to meet. I did reject footage when it didn't meet my standards. I was probably more lenient than I originally wanted to be. That's been one source of content. The other has been what I've called Bus Invaders Revisited and Gear Masters Revisited. I would say that the style of digital tourist videos has changed a lot over the years. How we execute the video, how we edit the video, how the video flows has changed drastically. And so these old clips have been up for so long. YouTube has replaced television for many, how I've been able to stay creative. I do have bands hitting me up again, saying they're coming through Chicago. They want to film. Publicists are starting to do the same. So it does feel like I will have new new videos soon, like that are fresh, brand new content that is up to my quality standards. Bands that submit content for like some of the shorter segments, like tour tips, top five, crazy tour stories, pre-show rituals, tour pranks, first concert ever, and dream tour. And then re-editing and re-uploading these legacy videos. Speaking off your segment, Gear Masters, what are your gears? So it's nothing crazy. I'm also not a professional. I did not go to college for video production. I went for marketing and I do marketing as, as my career. And so my gear is I've always used Sony cameras. I think they're fantastic. They're super underrated in my opinion. My bag, I love my Chrome bag. I love Chrome products. The Sony FDR-AX53. That's the model. It films in 4K 60 frames per second. It has Carl Zeiss lens. So it actually, there's like a camera on the inside that moves. It makes all the shots so smooth. Love this camera. Totally worth, I think they run for like a grand. Um, nothing, nothing crazy. People like most cameras do. <laughs> yeah. Like people always think I use mics um, or they wish I use mics. I just use a boom that attaches to the camera. Keeping it super simple. You got to be agile when you're on these buses and in these vans. You don't have room for mic cords or a Bluetooth audio mic creates so much complexity. A lot of these videos are filmed in such short periods of time. It's short as sometimes I'm given 15 minutes. They say, you got 15 minutes to do your thing and you got to go. And so attaching mics, doing audio checks, there's no time for it. Light, this is awesome, super bright, 50 bucks on Amazon, something like that. Uh, Always rechargeable batteries, save the environment. Um, And that attaches to the camera? Yeah, and that's it. That's the whole setup. It allows me to climb through vans. It allows me to like get in deep into a bunk or into 
raise my camera up for a cabinet or it just allows for so much flexibility while filming. I can turn that camera on it's, and when it's all put together and I'm good to go, I don't need anything else from the artist. I don't need to do lighting checks, sound checks, anything. So that's the most important thing. And that's what makes it so easy for the artist to participate. When you start adding these other layers of things you have to do beforehand, you're going to get drop off. You have to set an expectation that you can hit constantly. And I think that's why there's like almost an element of surprise because you also want to come in with a clean slate. Yeah. And it's especially interesting with like gear masters because I'm not a musician. Gear masters, for those listening um, who don't know, it's my like segment where bands show off all the equipment they use on stage. But I usually just say to them, like, talk to me like you're talking to someone that doesn't know anything about gear because not everyone that's going to watch this video is a gearhead is a intense musician. There are going to be beginners, casual fans that also watch this video. So they should know that, you know, Hey, this is the, the tuning knob on my guitar and I keep it at 10. I've actually come to the point where I know a lot about gear because I filmed enough of it, where I convince an artist that I'm a musician. <laughs> I don't, I don't ever tell them that, but they actually will say that they'll actually be like, you really know what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm not even a musician. I've just filmed so many of these at this point that I can get by. For what you do though, you need to know about me. You, I do. You're, you're, you're having a long conversation with people that it would be hard to have a conversation with if you didn't know about them. And I think that you're doing a great job at letting me talk because <laughs> I love to talk. And so you are sensing that I like to talk. You're also doing a great job at asking follow-up questions and guiding the conversation down the path that you wanted to go down. And so that's what an interviewer does. I wouldn't say that I'm actually an interviewer. I am a content creator and I'm more just creative. I am trying to create an entertainment product and put it out to the world that people will learn about the artist. Uh, it's just a different way to learn about someone. So what's the future for Digital Tourbus going to look like? Everyone's going to have a different comfort level. So, you know, are certain artists going to like want to be social distance? Do they want you to have your mask on? You know, how's that approach going to be like? Yeah. So with filming, if they want me to be masked, I will 100% be masked. I have like digital proof of my vaccination. I do plan on easing back in. You can't assume someone's comfort level. So when I get there, we'll always have my mask. I will likely be outside so that the person can let me know their comfort level ahead of time. I'm sure the tour managers and the bands will communicate that. I just haven't gotten that far yet. So I'm not sure what the process is going to be. Like those other bands and artists you mentioned that are influential, obviously Digital Torbus is too. So thank you so much, Joshua, for the time that you gave me on my podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I, As you could probably tell, I love to talk. So, I, you know, I, I love doing these things, a reason to talk and a reason to talk about myself. I don't get that reason that too often. I, to all the viewers listening to this, if you are this far in the interview, thank you so much. What Joshua said, thank you so much KCSS listeners for sticking around and listening to my podcast, not just for today, but for the previous weeks. I wouldn't do it without you. I see the numbers that you keep on tuning in. I'm so grateful for that. And make sure that you follow, subscribe, like to Digital Torbus on social media. And you can check out the episodes on YouTube. And big shout out to Josh. Thank you for being such an awesome guest on my podcast. And I said this before, how I always want to come back and interview bands and artists 
and I'm excited that I am. I know I took a short break and I wanted to feature people in media, so I'm back to it. Um, my next guest is a singer of a pop band from LA, and I have more details to come, but I'm sure you've know who this band is you know their hit song on the alternative charts playing it's been featured in a netflix show so yes make sure to keep following kcss also on social media be alert for when i come back because it's going to be a great episode i could already tell you all right it's been great speaking to you this has been chanel until then hasta la vista